Good day, everybody. It's Danny Rains here again, back on the voice of experience. Uh, it makes me sound old when I say that. Uh, <laughs> I actually did a class yesterday for a contractor, and we talked about this very subject. And the subject we're going to talk about is going to be regulations and arc flash. Uh, of course, don't want to get too deep into it. I could talk for two hours, but I've only got about 20 or 25 minutes. So let me give you a, a little bit of overview of what to expect. This article will be in the February issue of Incident Prevention Magazine. And it deals with a, a subject that's you know near and dear to me and to all linemen, because it's one of those unknowns that we have to protect ourselves from. The irony to all of this is uh, it's always been an issue, but there's never been a regulation really associated with the PPE and all of the things that are related to arc flash and arc blast. And what I'm gonna to try to do is define some of that stuff for us today to where you can have, uh, have a little bit more information, at least to ask the questions. Every month, uh, David McPeak hosts IP Forum. It's, that's 11 o'clock on the second Tuesday of each month, Eastern Standard Time. And uh, we had one last Friday and talked about this, this subject came up. There's always questions comes up about arc flash, which, which is rightfully so. I was introduced to the knowledge of, of Hugh Hoagland back in the 90s, early 90s, with Southern Company Safety and Health. Uh, and basically, you know, that's when the arc flash then became an issue with me. And of course, I sought more knowledge. So I, I went to work with and worked for Hugh for years until he retired. And I still represent eHazard. I'm not a salesperson but it's one of the best resources for art class you can get. Well, during that meeting last Friday, <clears throat> we had 47 people, I think, on there, right at 48, 49, something like that. And it's an opportunity to get on there and interact and also network with other safety and health professionals and other folks in the industry. And we all share the same concerns, uh, especially when it comes to art class. One of the questions that comes up all the time, does NFPA 70E cover utility employees? And uh, of course, I'm gonna give you a, a political answer to that, yes and no. <laughs> uh, when you talk utility employees per se, and that is linemen on line crews, NFPA 70E really doesn't cover that. It's really, it's really the voluntary consensus standard for low voltage and OSHA defines low voltage as 600 volts to down to 51 volts. So that consensus standard is the working group, uh, the IEEE and other groups that actually come up with this information. And of course, the, the big difference between the low voltage and the high voltage standards is one don't work with the other one. So they wrote you know, the NFPA 70E for safe work practices. Article 120 being de-energized, locked out, tagged out. Best way to avoid an arc flash or shock hazard is to lock it out and tag it out. Check the absence of voltage and you should be in pretty good shape. Not so true on utility wise because our, and that's why we have a different standard. We, you know, we have induction corridors. We have a lot of induced voltages. We have feedbacks on systems that are out of our control if somebody doesn't do right. 
So there's other, there's other reasons, but really when you get down to it, the safe work practices, which is found in article 130 in the NFPA 70, it has a lot of tables in there. It has a lot of information in there for electricians when working on industrial, commercial, or residential, you know, uh, projects and, and uh, services. So when you look at it, the 1910-269, the high voltage standard, we have the NESC, the National Electrical Safety Code, which is our consensus standard. And much of the information found in the NESC is the same thing as we find in OSHA. Uh, when they finally, I guess, merged the uh, committees together to a point to where, and in the timing of the cycles of the NESC, the set 2017 came out after the 2014-15 update of 269. A lot of what's the safety rules in uh, NESC say the same thing. It requires PPE, and it requires and PPE is defined now as art-rated FR clothing. I, I I kid a lot of my classes when I'm talking to them, and I say, well, you know, after the 94-269 came out, it told us what not to wear, but it didn't tell us what to wear. It just said there's a hazard there, but it never did define what the hazard was. Then the NESC went to work, and all the way back in 2002 and 2007 edition, they said, hey, we need to do an analysis and see just how bad the arc flash really is. And so that that was a charge from that voluntary standard back in seven, 2007 issue and cycle. And so, you know, people scurried around and started doing a lot of engineering. A lot of software popped up, you know, Arc Pro, three-phase multiplier. Uh, SKM's another good one. IEEE 1084 works on some systems, not on others. It does now since they've got a, it didn't work on the higher voltages for a long time. Not an accurate, it worked, but not as accurate of an estimate of the incident energy. The, and another big difference between low voltage and high voltage, you can, you can use the low voltage and use the, um, the software and do the calculations either through the appendix in, in the NFPA 70E or using software or, or just do it the hard way. But you can pretty much nail it down. I mean, it gives you a lot of information there. It gives you, you know, the working distances. It gives you the arc flash values. And then that way, you know where to barricade at the furthest distance from the arc. There's a lot. Now, in the OSHA, what does it say in paragraph L of 1910-269? The employer must make a reasonable estimate of the incident energy. And, of course, where is that at on our systems? That's at the low side bus of the power transformer sitting in the substation. And the further you get away from the substation, that value will uh, decrease, which is it's kind of like a, uh, it's kind of like a false uh, message to us. Well, it's not that bad, but then again, too, you have all kinds of other issues you got to deal with. Uh, you have an arc flash, the incident energy may go down, the available fault current may go down, but you may not generate enough fault current to trip the system. So it's burning, burning, burning. The rule of thumb is the longer it burns, the hotter it gets. And that's kind of what I, I, I share with people as I, as I do the classes. But getting back to the low voltage part, 137C, 15A and B, A is AC, B is uh, DC, 
systems, you can determine all of this information. What is the arc flash boundary? The arc flash boundary for low voltage is 1.2 cal centimeter squared. You know, and basically what is that? That's enough heat energy to raise one gram of water, one degree of Celsius. So when, when you say it's uh, 1.2 cal, that's a, that's a significant burn injury that will cause a second degree burn, a water blister. Well, the problem is it's defined in that low voltage, but when we get into high voltage and we get into substations or we get out working on primaries and our transmission lines, uh, those, uh, those basically those things, there's no, um, there's no, there's no table that we can go to. We've got to, we got to do the engineering on it or somebody has to, to do the engineering on it and do everything that's needed done to determine where that arc flash boundary is. Also, the arc flash boundary is determined two cal centimeters squared for high voltage on the 1910-269 standard. Um, you know, we wore cotton shirts and pants for years and years doing line work. I mean, my goodness, I worked, <laughs> uh, I, I stood in a bucket and gloved 12 and 25 KV for years and, you know, had nothing on but a cotton t-shirt and, you know, 11 ounce denim jeans. And then all of a sudden we went to an FR shirt and then 11 ounce denim jeans. And then all of a sudden we said, oh, now, wait a minute. The information kept getting more and more. That was that was 70s and 80s and up into the 90s and then 2000s. And it's just, it's amazing how much information changed as, as time went by. Well, another question that came out uh, of the IP forum last week was, you know, how do we avoid arc flash? Well, proper cover-up, removing three-phase exposure on a utility system is you know, if you keep it single face to ground, it's a whole lot better than face to face, but none of them are good for us. We, we, we're not, you know, I tell people all the time, we are, we are nothing but a thousand ohm resistor in an electrical circuit. That's all the human body is. And we're a good current, we're a good conductor of electricity, but we can't carry a lot of current. We certainly can't stand a lot of arc flash. So these regulations that's written are very vague and very ambiguous and ill-defined to a certain point. And that's because there's one regulation for our utility workers, for all the utilities that's out there in the United States, uh, whether it's a Y, multi-ground Y, a five-conductor Y, multi-ground, single-conductor Y, a Delta, we got one regulation that covers it all. So then who's it really up to to determine all this information. Now, OSHA's not gonna do it for us. They're just gonna tell us what to do. They're not gonna tell us how to do it. And that's the way it should be. Because the employer, knowing their system, designing and engineering and maintaining that system are, is ultimately responsible and accountable for the employees that's working on that system. So they gotta do the engineering, they gotta figure out where that magic boundary is of two cal centimeters squared, and then determine the level of PPE based on incident energy and arc flash. Um, it's, uh, it, it gets a little complicated sometimes, it really does. And I, I totally understand it now better than I ever did in the, in, in the days, I guess, when I was learning the system. And I certainly hadn't learned everything I need to know now, and I've been in it a long time. <laughs> a second question, third question came out, you know, 
where is the most dangerous thing for a utility lineman on a distribution lineman? What's one of the most dangerous things you can do? Well, to me, based on the information, the engineering from IPRI and, and the uh, BLS and all the other information where things has already happened and we get the information on it. And then the engineering group came up, the IEEE came up, did the testing back in 05 and 06 before the standard was updated in 14 it determined we needed this ppe and what level they did some testing and they found out a self-contained meter base uh 240 480 277 480 single phase or three phase probably the most dangerous place we can we can actually manipulate things and make a flash occur because it's really the closest thing to an industrialized, commercialized uh, uh, electrical system in a building uh, called arc in, the, arc in the box. You, you're talking about a five-sided device, okay, front, uh, top, bottom, back, left side, front side. The only thing, the left side, right side, the only thing that's open is the front. So if we're setting a meter in a self-contained meter base and start a fire, either break a lug in a meter base or short something out somehow, you, this is a, a cannon shot. It's all coming straight out at the person standing in front of the meter base. Before the heat and the fire can go up, it's got to come out. So that is one of the most dangerous activities and tasks we can perform uh, there. So what kind of PPE do we need setting meters? Well, if it's a single phase 120-240, it's very, very rare that it ever gets over about six to eight calorie exposure. So, you know, if 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 we want to be ultimately safe with that, you know, uh, according to the standards now, you got to remember what the OSHA standard says about it. They give us a lot of leeway but bearing in mind, the OSHA regulations are the minimum, okay, the minimum work practices that will semi keep us safe. If we want to add to that, if the employer, we, the employer wants to add to that, that's fine. And that's a good thing. So, you know, and I know a lot of people, a lot of people don't understand that. But when, when you're dressing out to set a meter. I tell people all the time on a 277, 480 or a 240, 480, single phase or a three phase, kill it. Don't even set it hot. If you got to get an outage on it, prearrange an outage and de-energize it. That's the article 120 in the NFPA 70. The best way to avoid a flash or electrical shock is to have it locked out and tagged out. So that's, that's by far the best way. But when you're standing in front of a meter base and, you know, everything is measured on about an 18 inch reach. Okay. And here's another thing about an arc flash that I want to share with you, especially on these, on these medium, our, the 277 meter bases, 277, 480, you know, we measure everything and testing in the industry at 18 inches arms, arms uh, length. So <clears throat> if something happens, what if you're looking up, got your face stuck up closer than 18 inches, you know, which is not unusual to look in to see the spades on a self-contained meter base or, or, or if it's a bolt in or whatever, you know, now then just remember this, this is just kind of a little table. This is something I learned years ago that the distance and the heat are inversely proportionate to one another. 
if I've got eight cal at 18 inches, what have I got at nine inches? Probably 16 cal. So what have I got at 36 inches? I probably have nine cal. So if I shorten it up by half, I double the incident energy. If I expand it to twice the 18 inches, it gives it more room to expand and, you know, to have the quote open air. Then all of a sudden, you know, it's, it's less than that. So, but uh, that's just one thing I'd really like for you to remember about meter basis. You see, it's the most dangerous thing we can do. Uh, even on that uh, single phase, 120, 240, as I said, rarely does it ever get over six to eight cal, but that 277, 480 can go up to 20 cal. And it depends on the transformers, the impedance of the coils of the transformers, the size of the conductor, the length, all of that. That's, that's what will determine the, the amount of exposure. Now, the uh, next question that really was discussed last Friday was uh, uh, switching transformers, opening transformers, so a single phase or a three phase. Uh, many, many three-phase live front transformers, and I, I don't know if you have any or not, but many of those things does not have that NESC required second barrier as, as a switching cubicle, like a PDM, um, PMH six or seven. They'll have a you'll open the you'll open that NEMA class steel door, which is the shock hazard, and then you got a fiber board in there. It says, hey, that beyond this, it's got this voltage and it'll usually have it stenciled on the fiberglass. So, you know, you look at that and that's, you're almost violating minimum approach when you open the door. Uh, rule of thumb, what we used to practice, our practice at, at where I worked for 40 years, we would stay behind, if it was a live front transformer, we knew it, we'd stay behind the door. We'd, we'd, uh, we'd remove the lock, take the captive bolt out and then open the door, staying behind the door the whole time, just in case there's something in there that we didn't want to affect us. That way we still have that, that metal door between us and it. So you have to be very, very careful. Remove those panels with a stick. So, so when it's a dead front, elbows and bushings, that's always a controversial point right there because these questions came up from some of the attendees last Friday. Those things, those cables are insulated for the voltage that they're carrying. That is, if it's a normal, you know, in, in normal operating conditions. If there's damage, if there's lightning, if there's a question, if it's a single phasing event, uh, if there's a swollen elbow or bushing, then now it's an abnormal event. You know, uh, safest thing again to do is probably switch it and tag it out. You know, make sure that you switch it out, check for the presence, absence of voltage and then maybe ground it and then figure it out what you're going to do with it before you even touch it. I always tell people when you're, when you're running a case of trouble, use your senses, but let the sense of touch be the last one. If you can see it, smell it, or hear it, there's something else going on. If you touch it, it may be sitting there on a wing and a prayer and fall apart about the time you touch it. And all of a sudden, you know, there's, there's a, there's a big issue. Switching an underground elbow with a stick, is really important too, because when we're switching, we've increased that distance. Now, again, too, the, the arc flash value is figured at 18 inches. Now, if I get on the end of an eight foot stick, so what have I done? You know, I've, I've, I've increased the distance considerably, reduced the amount of heat energy that I'll be exposed to for sure. So, uh, 
that's up to your employer. If you've got an, if you've got a, a, a lock to lock, you know, gloves and sleeves rule, then so be it. I'd say about 50% of the companies do. Okay. Uh, the other ones um, basically don't have that. They may have gloves to open the door. And then I know some that don't do anything, you know, and I've seen some of my customers and I'm going, okay, I wouldn't do that. And I've also seen other things that I wouldn't do based on my training from Southern company for years and years. Um, I know I'm running out of town and running long and I apologize for that, but I do want to, I do want to address the third point that basically we talked about and that was substation entry. I find that to be an interesting, very interesting uh, topic because some companies, uh, they kind of dip the whole herd and say, look, if you're going to walk in my substation, you got to have, you got to have your standard uniform on. Usually that's about a hazardous or an art rated category two, eight cow shirt, pants, boots, hard hat, safety glasses. And even if you're not going to do anything, if you just walk in the substation. What does the standard say? We'll go back to the standard in paragraph L. It says at some point, you know, there's going to be a two cal exposure. You know, at that point, you've got to have on art rated FR clothing. So really it depends on, you know, can, can I open that gate? Did I inspect it for the grounds, the fence grounds, the yard, make sure there's nothing, no anomaly going on, no strange noises coming out of there. And I'm 50 feet from the power transformer, the breakers of the regulators or the LTC. Do I really have to have it on? Not according to the standard. Do you have a policy that requires it? Yes. Okay. Well then wear it. And, but that's the way it is. If you want to look in there and just especially uh, paragraph 269 L4, A, B, C, and D tell you when you've got to have art rated FR clothing on. And that's when, you know, you're working on 600 volts, you're exposed to it or exposed to an arc that can set your clothes on fire or material in the area that can set your clothes on fire or there's two cal exposure or more. That's the four times you've got to have it on. So, you know, this is always, you know, and what you see, and especially in this IP forum, you have all these people, 50 people in there, 50 different professionals. And they work for 30 or 40 different companies and all the companies have different policies and procedures. They're all based on the 1910-269 standard, but they have a very, some have a very conservative approach. And then I have one or two customers that don't require nothing but a hard hat and safety glasses to walk in a substation and walk right up to the equipment as long as you don't operate the equipment. If you're going in there to operate the equipment, that's a total different story. So just, just bearing in mind, knowing, uh, you know, what the limits are. And then one last thing, this, this subject always comes up too about the exposure of a face shield. When do I wear a face shield or when do I just wear safety glasses? Well, that's pretty much spelled out in paragraph L also. Okay. You know, uh, single phase open air arcs, you know, from four to eight safety glasses, Okay. And then if it's above eight to less than 13, I always say 12.9 because of the testing on, you know, our art rated eight cal shield and a balaclava will protect you up to, even though it's a hazardous category two or an art rated category two shield, it'll still protect the face up to 12.9 cal. 
Now, if he gets over that, you got to go into a hood and then go into a full suit at 25 to 40 and then even more, you know, and some of my friends down in South Florida that, that have 80 cal exposure in some of the network vaults down there, they have a hundred cal suit. So they, you, you can dress for the occasion and like the old say, like the old saying goes, if you're in Rome, you, you need to dress like the Romans. Okay. And you cover up, you know, that's the last point. The, the only thing it doesn't have to have art rated FR clothing on is your feet with leather boots, your hands with rubber gloves, leather, um, uh, rubber glove protectors, either get calf skin or goat skin. And then your head with a hard hat, of course, I have safety glasses, polycarbonate 87.1 safety glasses up to about eight cal. And from that point on, it's, it gets with face shields, balaclavas, and then hoods. Well, that's a, that's a lot of information. I think I've probably run my, I, I didn't, I didn't actually get a time when we started, but I don't want to really go over. And, and it's like, I told the class I did yesterday. I said, it's like getting a sip of water out of a two inch fire hose. I'll drown you if you're not careful with information. I don't mean to, but I try to cover as much as I possibly can in the length of time I've got to talk. And I, I love to talk about this and certainly if anybody has any questions after they listen to this and they want to call or email, I think Nick's going to put a uh, contact in there and uh, they'll have my email address and my phone number. So feel free to call and or email. And I promise my phone's went off twice since I've been doing this. So trust me, it goes off all the time. Uh, lastly, uh, I, I had mentioned before in podcasts that I was writing a book. And I have finished the book. The book is now published. It will be the Kimball, the ebook is already out and people's read it and say, it's pretty good. And I said, well, I'm glad you liked it. But basically it's a series of short stories of, of things like we're doing right now. It's, it may be, you know, it may be a five minute story on, a, on an ice storm or a hurricane or, or how I learned not to do something. And then even when I had a flash one time when I was, it was June of 1973, when I had a flash that convinced me that distribution cover-up was very, very important. And I should really analyze the job and do it right. And uh, I learned a lesson. Didn't hurt me too bad, but it hurt my feelings, believe me. Uh, and it and it embarrassed me. You know, it really did because, you know, that's another whole story that we may talk about another time. But anyway, uh, the book is out. The published version, the paperback version will probably be on the market right after the 1st of December. And uh, I'm looking forward to some feedback from everyone out there that gets the book. If you see fit to get the book and read it, please let me know what you think about it because I really do because I'm actually writing the second book now. The first book started when I graduated high school and went to work at Georgia Power. And then when I made lineman, I went through my lineman days till I made supervisor. And then the next book will be from lineman to leader. And that's when you go to supervisor, manager, safety trainer, and then safety consultant, which I retired at from George Power. But thank you for listening. I appreciate it. And any feedback from this or any other podcast would be well appreciated. And with that, I'm going to wish you a of course, right now it's in November, so I'm going to wish you uh, happy holidays and 
hope you have a, a lot of turkey and get you a nap and watch a lot of football. <laughs> Maybe you won't get too many trouble calls, but God bless you. Take care of yourself, and I'll see you again another day. The views, information, and opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Utility Business Media and its employees. It is strongly recommended that you discuss any actions or policy changes with your company management prior to implementation.